0: Welcome to Guy House and welcome to this retreat. Uh, Lovely to see so many people here. Uh, So many people interested in developing calmness. Um, It's interesting to me living at Guy House. uh, You know, retreats come, retreats go and one's more or less involved. And, uh, But just keeping the sense alive, it's a very alive sense, how precious the opportunity is uh, to be able to to be on retreat. That, especially nowadays, to be able to devote uh, this kind of time to looking inwardly, to developing what is beautiful. Very precious. That Uh, movement or practice of retreat, of setting aside a period of time to look more deeply, uh, to be in silence, to be in solitude. That's... That's something that has uh, been around as long as humanity has been around. It's really, really an ancient tradition, pre-history, pre-written word, pre- even maybe oral tradition, I don't know. And so it's like human beings have a sense, maybe a dim sense, maybe a strong sense, of the possibilities uh, in life, the possibilities for themselves, possibilities of consciousness. And it's almost as if that is a a river that runs in a human being and uh, leads us, uh, beckons us, And in humanity, it's also a river. So, in, in a way, we come here to this retreat, and we are stepping into that stream that's already uh, existed—beautiful stream over thousands and thousands of years of people willing to dedicate time to uh, to deepening, to opening, to looking more deeply <coughs> into life. So, this retreat uh, is a summer retreat. Uh, it's uh, focusing on some of the trans- translation means calm or tranquility, and that too is something. It's not a specifically Buddhist thing, and no one has any um, uh, you know proprietary rights over calmness. It's just a human quality. Uh, the again, the, the movement in, uh, in throughout humanity towards calmness, to develop calmness, predates the Buddha something that also the Buddha stepped into that stream. And in a way, you know, we're here for five days together, uh, but Samatha, the, the deepening of calmness, of tranquility, of that kind of collectiveness, is is really a, an art that lasts a lifetime. Uh, it's infinitely developable. We're here for a few days, so we're just going to make a beginning into that, beginning into uh, learning some skills hopefully to develop calmness. Um, as I said, we're here for five days. It's something that people devote uh, weeks to, months to, in many cases, years. Uh, years uh, letting that deepen, looking into that, allowing the consciousness to to expand, to refri- refine, grow brighter. In the Insight Meditation tradition, which is the tradition that most of the uh, most of the retreats at Guy House are sort of based on, really, the calmness does receive receive some emphasis. So this asp- this aspect of calming the mind, developing a kind of collectiveness, it, it really does um, have a central place in that. But not not so prominent. It's not something that's given too much emphasis. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, and that's fine. It's uh, it's a beautiful way of practicing insight meditation. But if one goes back to the teachings of the Buddha, which this tradition is based on, one finds an enormous encouragement to uh, develop calmness, develop samatha. And he says things like... uh, the pleasure of calmness, that pleasure, that, that is a pleasure I will allow myself. Or um, this kind of pleasure, the pleasure of calmness, of tranquility, should be pursued, should be developed, cultivated, should not be feared. So he's quite active in his encouragement of really learning to develop this skill um, very well over want to give a lot of attention to this skill, this art over one's life. So it's a journey, and it's an art, and it takes time, but over time, um, and who can say how much time, but there is, uh, we do find a kind of lovely abiding in calmness. There's a sense that Tranquility Samatha really is uh, a beautiful dwelling place for the heart, for the being. It's very healing, has enormous healing uh, potential. Calmness through the being healing for the mind, healing for the emotions, healing physically. <coughs> it's very nourishing. And there's huge insight that comes from the practice of calmness. So, in the tradition of insight meditation, that's what we really um, focus on this development of insight, development of seeing clearly, seeing deeply into life in a way that brings a sense of freedom, a sense of. Uh, letting go of suffering in one's life. But calmness itself brings a tremendous amount of insight. It's also, uh, we could say, the best possible soil for that kind of clarity of insight to, uh, uh, to take root in. So the best possible inner conditions will be in conditions of Samatha, to see clearly, to see deeply into life. And it's interesting, I just had a quick look at the forums and I know some of you are very new and some have a lot of experience and everything in between. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me, anyway. We tend to think of insight being the only thing, uh, insight meditation, that sort of path, as being the only way that the Buddha taught. But it seems to me that he taught at least three different paths leading to this kind of very radical liberation in life. You know, radical freedom from... From suffering in life and stress. One was certainly through insight and that kind of looking. One was through the development of loving kindness and compassion, joy, equanimity, that whole path. And a third path uh, is the development of samatha, the deepening of calm. somehow, for whatever reasons, we don't need to go into them, we've sort of put all the eggs in the first basket of the insight meditation, the other two, the development of loving-kindness, of compassion, etc., as leading towards this kind of very profound liberation in life, of calmness leading towards that. We've tended to uh, maybe not be so aware of that, not put so much emphasis on it. Ananda, who was uh, somebody, you know, it, it was the Buddha's cousin and his sort of attendant, his sort of right-hand man. And after, I think it was after the Buddha died and Ananda said, you know, of all the people, uh, men and women who have come to me saying, uh, kind of, that's it, done it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of the path. I've, I've realized the end of suffering. What's called an arahant, a fully enlightened being. All the people that came to Ananda and said that, he said um, there are three types, three types of people, and that, that covers all of them. The first type is a person who develops samatha, develops calmness first, and then develops the insight. The second type is the type who develops the insight first, and then develops the samatha, the, the tranquility. And the third type is the type who develops them both together. So in other, way, in other words, he's saying there's, there's no, uh, no option, there's no way out but to, to, to look into this over our lifetime. So sometimes it's possible that we come on retreat or a retreat like this and we have a sense, well, it's a bit selfish or it's a bit self-indulgent and maybe, you know, I don't know what's happened in the days coming up to the retreat if friends, family, etc. What are you going to do that for? Uh, It's a bit selfish or whatever. Um, Or sometimes we're very clear about our aspiration, that we are involved in spiritual seeking, involved in the path, because we care about the planet, because we care about, in a way, the plight of the earth and all the inhabitants of the earth. And that uh, can be, and it is for many people, very central uh, to their whole path and their whole reason for practicing. And so it can seem when I'm just developing this calmness that has kind of nothing to do with that, it has nothing to do with action and service and giving and and, and that kind of thing. But there is something about developing. Uh, developing this inner resource of tranquility, of calmness, of brightness of mind, strength of mind. That's a real resource for ourselves and for others. Tremendous resource uh, in life. And it may be hard to see, but uh, as we develop this, the more we develop this, basically the less needy we become. We need to actually consume less. We don't need this and that and that. Why? Because there is that inner reservoir. This inner resourcefulness of of well-being, of calmness, of joy. Become less needy and less greedy. And that uh, has its impact, of course, on the planet. We also become more available, much more available for ourselves and for others. So obviously I don't have to spend much time kind of selling something to you because you're signed up for the retreat um, well when we, we ask ourselves okay, it sounds like a great idea a great project, sign me up and then, and then we wonder, well how do I develop it and sometimes in our life it seems like calmness tranquility is kind of random, it's like you wake up in the morning, you don't know what's going to be there or later on in the day. It's just moods come in and they come out, mind states come in and come out. It can all seem pretty random. Or it can seem that the mind state is totally dependent on what comes to us externally. Someone says, uh, you're an idiot, you didn't do that very well, you're looking, uh, you know, or says you look 43 when you're really 41 or something. And... Uh, uh, it can seem either that the mind state is random or that it depends completely on what's coming to us. And what, the, what the Buddha emphasized over and over again is that mind states, especially calmness, is uh, developable. It's, it's We have the ability to learn this skill, to cultivate it. So that's what we want to go into over the days here. Uh, and how does calmness develop? How can we develop this skill? How can we... Uh, uh, walk uh, the path of this art. It actually has to do with a lot more things than meditation. A lot more things. It has to do with, in a way, our whole life. Everything touches on calmness. Everything, everything, everything in our life. Um, this retreat is a little bit unusual for, an, for a number of reasons. Just a little bit unusual. Partly because we're f- very much focusing on developing a quality like calmness. Partly also because in a usual insight meditation retreat, um, the teacher, I, I would talk about uh, one's whole life and the whole range of experience and bringing insight and clarity and awareness and compassion into all of that. This retreat is a little bit different because mostly what I'm going to be talking about is meditation and meditation techniques and really want to get into the nuts and bolts of that and kind of um, the subtleties of that and really hopefully... Um, uh, so that we can get some of the the tools, uh, kind of the tools of the trade of calmness. So if we just talk about meditation for a few moments, um, the kinds of meditation that lead to calmness are numerous, I mean, absolutely staggering number, you know, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess how many different techniques. Even within traditional Buddhist teachings, there's loads. So the development of loving-kindness, of compassion, of uh, equanimity, of um, uh, working with the breath, certainly, uh, sweeping the attention through the body can lead to calmness. Insight practice itself can also lead to calmness. It's, it's massive. And even within the breath, kind of breath meditations, there's a whole range of, of approaches to breath meditation. I don't really care about it personally, I don't really care about any of that. I don't really care uh, what technique one uses uh, in general, I don't care. Uh, It's fine, if it's leading in that direction, it's fine. However, for this retreat, I'm going to focus very much on one technique and really developing that, and one technique using the breath and the whole body, uh, and kind of going into that a lot. Like I said, I don't, I don't really care. Uh, the calmness is the important thing, not the technique. But for the sake of this retreat, if you already have a practice, or you're already used to something, um, I would just ask and encourage, in a spirit of exploration, in a spirit of experimentation, in the spirit of letting go and non-attachment, just to kind of let go of the, uh, whatever technique you're used to with the breath, or whatever else it is, and just to try what what I'm offering. Like I said, I don't really care, and so if after a couple of days it's really not working, uh, let me know and we can uh, finagle a deal and uh, (laughs) figure something out. In a lot of Buddhist traditions, in the insight meditation tradition in particular, in some Zen traditions, in a lot of traditions, when there's a meditation on the breath, uh, there's often a strong encouragement. You know, there's often a strong encouragement to um, not, not to control the breath. That right from the day one of the breath meditation, it's like just don't control the breath. Don't try and make it any particular way. Just however it is, let it let it be that way. So, I've actually never um, never had anyone being able to tell me in twenty whatever years of practice why that is. Uh, no, no one ever gave me a reason that, that satisfies me. I think. Sometimes, uh, I mean, what I'm getting at is we're basically going to be controlling the breath a little bit. I think one of the one of the uh, concerns that people would have with controlling the breath is that there's this assumption, perhaps my guess, is that if you control the breath, you're feeding into that habit and that predisposition of controlling uh, life. And we do have a kind of addiction to controlling, manipulating, fixing everything so that it goes according to how I want it. But t- to me is a little bit unexplored here. I don't think that working with the breath, um, developing a breath that really feels good, nourishing, energizing, soothing to the whole body, I'm not sure that that necessarily leads to an increase in uh, the kind of... Um, control freak uh, mindset. Uh, I, re- I really would question that. It's also, I mean, we could go into this very deeply, uh, just to say uh, something very, very short right now. Uh, we can feel like we're not controlling. I mean, very deep inside, we can feel like we're not controlling in life or with the breath or whatever, but there's often a very subtle controlling going on. And to begin to explore this whole area of control, it's almost like we we see more clearly the whole picture of control and letting go of control, and we see what that is. sometimes also in in certain traditions in insight meditation as well, there's a strong encouragement you know, be with things as they are, don't don't change anything, just just be with how it is as if that had some kind of ultimate significance, or as if that was the goal of the path. The goal of the path is to be with things as they are. And it's absolutely not the goal of the path. The goal of the path is something much deeper, much more freeing, much more radical than that. Certainly there's a a real beauty, uh, a lovely beauty in the approach of not going to change anything, not going to fix anything, not going to make anything less or more, just hands off just openness and observing beautiful, but it can only ever be one strand of the path it can only ever be one strand because this being with things as they are without interfering is not the goal it's also not even the ultimate truth of things So, in a way, we are moving towards something here. We're, we're interested in developing something. We're not just passive observers. We're interested in developing calms. Um As I said, usually uh, I would talk a lot about the whole range of one's life experience and bringing insight into that. I'm just mostly going to talk about meditation. Similarly with the meditation interviews that we'll have. Now, there's a lot of people here, so we're just actually going to have groups, uh, for the most part, group interviews. Um, Usually, in an insight meditation retreat, if you haven't done one before, anything goes in in it. Well, not anything, but... (laughs) uh, Almost anything. So you can speak about anything you want in an interview, anything that's happening in one's life, and bringing insight into it, bringing that openness of inquiry into it. Uh, This retreat... Somewhat uh, of an encouragement just to really bring the meditation practice and the technique and and just to bring that into the interview and really focus on that and really get into that over these days. So also, I I honestly thought this was going to be a tiny retreat so I'm quite surprised that there there are uh, so many people here. Because uh, it's only possible to do group interviews, um, one of the things that potentially happens in groups and especially in groups when the meditation is kind of in a way trying to develop something like calm is this uh, terribly painful pattern that we have in life of measuring and comparing our experience with others and so it would be groups of eight or so, so in interviews and a person can be shy about saying oh well they seem to be doing great and I'm still struggling with whatever or a person can feel too shy to say that it's going really well or whatever how much how much this comes into our life and the self and the ego wrap itself around anything any social situation that's basically just there for the sake of learning for the sake of compassion for the sake of deepening somehow the self comes in and makes a problem out of it and it's very uh, understandable um So in a way, I guess I'm just mentioning this to uh, say, please an encouragement, I'll say this again, please an encouragement just to let that go. And just to kind of um, let go in the interviews and speak one's truth and how one is. And it can be okay that there's people with different experiences and levels of experience and practice histories and all that. It doesn't have to be a problem. Maybe just to watch what happens in the heart around that. I don't know if it's an exclusively Western thing. I've practiced in some Eastern environments, and don't even blink about uh, um, you know, to a group of people with very different experiences uh, just reporting their experience to a teacher. It's just, it's just not an issue. It may be a Western thing, I don't know. But please don't be shy about that. Um, hopefully there will be some time for question and answer sessions as well as interviews. So I hope there's going to be a lot of questions. Um, sometimes I'm a little puzzled why there are so few questions about sort of basic meditation technique. Sometimes a person thinks, oh, I just need to follow the breath and that's it. Um, but really, can, can that question can be very alive. Okay, so a few things, uh, in a way, outside of the meditation, or not, not really outside. If you've not been on a meditation retreat before, if you've not been to Guy House before, there's not really much happening here, uh, particularly. It's a pretty uh, non-eventful kind of place. It's sitting and walking, a couple of bells go eating and sleeping. Um, That's that's like that for a reason. Uh, When it's quiet like that, we can focus on what the deeper intentions are in life. So... Sometimes we don't even know what the deeper intentions are. But just being here, there's a sense of that movement. Maybe it is very clear. But to have uh, intentions, to be awake to one's intentions towards freedom, towards knowing what the truth is, towards uh, an ex- a heart of expansive love, towards developing peace, towards developing happiness—these are what the Buddha would call noble intentions. They're beautiful intentions. They're intentions of which we can be proud. They're also, you might translate it as ennobling. Just having those intentions and acting on them uh, actually brings a kind of beautiful nobility into one's heart, into one's life. Intentionality, intentions are extremely powerful force in our life, extremely powerful. Sometimes we don't quite see how powerful they are. everyone showed up here we're all here so there was that much intentionality to show up Um, but intentions are not uh, unfortunately or maybe fortunately they're not permanent so we can have lovely I really want to go deeply into this retreat and apply myself and develop some karma and be in the silence etc great and then a little time goes by and it's we forget or it's just gone or it's slipped somewhere else and, um, you know, it's interesting to see where it slips to. Uh, it's rare that I've come across, you know, a meditator who's started out with a good intention and then reports it slipping and, and you know, they say it's slipped but it's gone. Now what I really want is complete world domination or, or something. <laughs> it doesn't go places that dramatic. It actually goes very... Uh, We barely notice the slip it makes. It just goes, I just would like to be a bit more comfortable. Things just being a bit more convenient, a bit more secure. How much uh, intentionality in in our life is towards that? A little bit more comfort, convenience. A little bit more security, a little bit more pleasure. And it's fine, it's just that, is that sapping away? Is it eating away at the deeper and more, uh, uh, more positively transforming intentions of our life? So, in a way, just to, part of being on retreat is to be aware of the intentionality. And it, it's always going to be coming and going and shifting, and just to be aware and to kind of encourage it uh, to, to get back on track. It's just a small shift. So, on any retreat, and perhaps particularly on this retreat when we're developing calmness, um, we want to kind of support... that intentionality. We really want to support those beautiful intentions and, and, and ask, how can I support these? One of the factors that's really important is kind of taking care of one's heart, taking care of one's heart in one's life, but especially on retreat. What do I mean by that? I mean, in a way, in a way we could say that to take care of one's heart deeply, truly, is the whole path. That's what the path really means. It means to really take care of the heart. But it's also, the Buddha puts it also at the sort of basis of the path. It's like there has to be a certain amount of just taking care of a general uh, well-being, sense of well-being. That's the basis, that's the foundation on which then our practice rests. So that's an interesting question. How does that... How does that get there? How do we nourish that? Some some of this is about uh, the qualities of, say, appreciation and gratitude. So, often it's the case that our mind slips from a sense of appreciation and gratitude. And this is understandable, it's actually a very normal part of the human condition. Can we kind of nourish that fire a little bit while we're here? And so that might take it might take various forms. It might take just reflecting on what's here. This place is is uh, in a way it's amazing. So much is here. There's very little we have to worry about in terms of food and shelter and warmth and all that. And the whole environment is set up. And there's managers and there's staff and volunteers and teachers. Everything's coming together. Tremendous amount of work to create this environment. Sometimes being on retreat uh, it it needs a kind of opening to that. one opens the eyes, so not necessarily just you know looking down at the feet all the time and not not seeing what 's around, seeing the loveliness uh, that made this possible, allowing some gratitude for that, actually reflecting on that, or it could be in one's life, what has enabled one to be here. a little bit of reflection from time to time on this is really nourishing. Uh, To the whole sense of being on retreat, the power of nature uh, in terms of appreciation, gratitude. So, um, almost all the retreats that go, yeah, almost all the retreats at Guy House. They're not. We don't say, don't go beyond the front gate. Please do uh, find some time every day for a walk if you can. And it's if you. Got here early, maybe you went out, but if you have this very beautiful around here, to be outside and let that in, let the nature in, uh, let that into the heart, and let the practice be nourished by that. So, appreciation and gratitude. Second thing that really, really supports our whole being here uh, is the silence, the atmosphere of silence, the climate of silence. So, this is... Some people have a sense of the power of this, and for others it can be just a little strange at first. Um, We're quite lucky in this tradition that there's an enormous amount of talk. We we talk a lot about technique, and as I said, I will will talk a lot about that. Some traditions, there's there's very little talking about technique. Some monastic traditions, there's no teaching at all. The monks or nuns are just kind of left to get on with it, in their cells, in an atmosphere of silence. And yet oftentimes one meets uh, those monks or nuns, and tremendous transformation has taken place over, over the long term, usually. Just through the power of silence. So something about it can perhaps seem a little weird. Um, I guess I would just uh, really wholeheartedly ask, almost beg you to kind of Surrender to the silence. Just really um, let yourself be in the silence. Let the being open out to the silence. Tremendous power in there in terms of peace, in terms of calmness, in terms of transformation. By keeping the silence, we're also, of course, supporting each other. It's creating an atmosphere of calm, of, of quiet, where we can, all of us can deepen and practice together. So it's a gift to ourselves and to others. One of the reasons I think science feels a little bit weird, uh, or can feel a little bit weird at first on retreat, is that socially this is a very odd situation. Uh, here we are, I don't know how many people are in the room, 45 or 50 or whatever, and uh, we're here for five days and we're not talking to each other, except me to you and you to me. And there can be, if one relaxes into the science, if one opens the being to science, almost allows the science to embrace Embrace one and embrace the senses. Uh, that there, there is a sensitivity that develops uh, that feels a connection to others, a very deep connection, in and through the silence. That it's not just through the words uh, that we feel connected. So that kind of connection is also an important thing that feeds the sense of well-being that will feed the, the calmness and the meditation. So many of you will, most of you, I think, will be sharing rooms. So if you haven't met your roommates, uh, maybe you just want to kind of introduce yourself tonight later and just say hello and agree to just keep the silence for the retreat. Uh, it's really as a gift to each other, as I say. Um, in the age of mobile telephones, uh, just please maybe switch them off and don't use them. Don't use them for five days. Um, texting is silent; it doesn't. Of those little beeps, it doesn't really make much noise, but it's not really the spirit of science, it's not going to um, nourish the practice in the same way. So, maybe as I said, just turning the mobile phone off and putting it in the, in the uh, suitcase or whatever. So, appreciation, gratitude, silence. Uh, something about simplicity. Again, there's not much happening here. It's a very simple kind of lifestyle for five days. Extremely simple. If, uh, it being Friday night, if there is some business that you arrived with that kind of didn't quite get finished or some ends need tying up, just see if you can take care of that tonight. Uh, either on the mobile phone, if you just walk um, beyond, the, uh, beyond the end of the path uh, at the front, Or uh, there's the the payphone on the back. Just see if that can be taken care of, please. And then please, if you haven't already, to feel yourself arrive here. uh, Just maybe walk around. uh, Walk around in the garden at the back, at the front. Walk around in the house. Just feel yourself arriving at Guy House, landing. So the simplicity of the day here, the simplicity of the schedule, is something that we can really, in a way, surrender to. And surrender is, um, I think, a, a, a beautiful word and a beautiful uh, quality. It's not, a quali- it's not something that we tend to talk about much in the culture. But can there be a quality of uh, surrendering to the simplicity, surrendering to the schedule? So sometimes uh, we have a look at the schedule and we think, well, I don't know, you know, um, I think I'm a bit tired now, I miss the last one, or, or lying, or whatever. Please and encourage to really embrace the fullness of the schedule. That quality of surrender. In deep uh, Samatha practice, that quality of surrender is actually very important. And we can begin cultivating it in all kinds of ways. So, one more little thing. A couple more little things. Um, uh, most Buddha statues are sitting down for some reason. I don't know why that is. Uh, the Buddha actually didn't put, didn't place a hierarchy of postures. So the sitting posture is really not a big deal. We're going to be moving between sitting and walking postures uh, in terms of the meditation. Usually, there is this complete equality. Uh, for this retreat, we're going to just very slightly privilege the sitting posture, just because at the beginning of Samatha practice it does help it. Um, the schedule is quite full. But if you can, either at the meal breaks or some other time, find time for a walk. As I said, outside and take in the nature, and take in the colour, and take in the air, and take in the spaciousness—really helpful. If also you can find some time in the day for some exercise, that would be really good. Some uh, either if you do yoga or tai chi or qigong, or uh, it doesn't have to be anything oriental. It can also just be you know bench presses or whatever. Uh, Whatever you like, something to get the energy moving in the body is quite related to, to the deepening of summertime. So it might be that you want to get up early and do that, or you find a time in the day to do that. If you can't, if that's too much, take one of the walking periods and take it as an exercise period. Okay, okay. just lastly, I think Nick in the opening talk... Uh, talked about the ethical guidelines, uh, the five uh, ethical precepts, and uh, Buddha put tremendous emphasis on this. And, and every retreat at guy house has these at their foundation. When Buddha talked about developing meditation, developing samatha, he this was absolutely, unquestionably, the foundation. Said so, no, no ethical. No concern for ethics, no concern for how we are with others, the care, the respect, the love that we live with you can you know forget about meditation, forget about really deepening in it. so it 's absolutely uh, a basis of of the practice, and so Nick went through them, you know uh, not killing, not harming, not taking what is not given um, uh, in in the case of this retreat, uh, an abstinence from intentional sexual activity. Um, in the case of this retreat uh, noble silence just keeping the silence and not indulging in alcohol, drugs, stimulants that cloud the mind. Uh, what a different world it would be if everyone just kept those five. Like, what a hugely different world it would be. So we are here together as a, as a sort of uh, micro-community and to undertake to, to try and follow those precepts is is again it's a gift to everyone here it's a gesture of love a uh, gesture of support and respect It really enables everyone uh, as much as possible to kind of let down the guard and uh, so that the being can relax and the calmness can, can come hopefully uh, when we don't pay attention to the, uh, the ethics in our life there's not much of a sense of outer peace. If we had to watch where we, uh, you know, watch our backs here, there wouldn't be much of a sense of outer peace, not much of a sense of inner peace. But the care for the ethics allows the outer peace, allows the inner peace. Okay, that's uh, plenty talking for now. So, thank you for listening.